Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to what a load of cobblers Friday Night Lights the Northampton Town Audio Show, the podcast equivalent of a Barry Richardson night out on Bridge Street. I'm Tom Reed and tonight I'm joined by a group of fellas. If born with the wings of a sparrow and the arse of a crow would head straight for London Road, it's Andy Bodfish, Martin Maloney and Ian Brandt. How are you doing guys? You alright? Yeah, not bad mate. Yeah, very good here. Good stuff. Been a bit of a, a weird week with looking back at last week's result but luckily we're going out on Friday night so we can forget about that and look ahead to the game against Bristol Rovers. Every week we're looking at a little bit of a football moment from football for the week, Andy. What's your one, mate? Well, yeah, it's a moment the other night uh, that made me sort of wince. Um, Mr. Eric Dyer and his little um, little hot to trot to the Vindaloo off the pitch at uh, White Hart Lane the other night, or whatever it's called now. Yeah, I mean, just a bit of empathy there as someone you know who's had similar issues inside a football stadium. Um, just wondered if it's um, you know something of a byproduct of um, the whole thing being a, a sort of remote experience now and no fans in the stadium when he sort of running off is fine, but then it's when you come back on, there's not sixty thousand people to have cottoned on to what's just been happening and to give it the big ah. So Mr. Eric Dyer and his uh, answering the call of nature for me is my moment of the week. And maybe that's the ultimate, actually, uh, getting a yellow during the game. <laughs> oh. but, uh, <laughs> but Martin, you've been uh, keeping your ear to the ground, haven't you? Listen yeah. For football stories. What's your one, mate? Well, I think I, I think after la- last week, me being quite mundane with um, one of our players, I think a little, little more serious this week. Um, and it was only, I think, last night. But um, Landon Donovan of the... Um, San Diego loyal in the playoffs a little way down the American pyramid. One of their um, openly gay players was the target of a homophobic slur. Le- uh, Landon Donovan, former US international, led his team off. And I think there are things that are more important than football. And I think when people have the courage of their convictions to do something like that, that's potentially, you know, I mean, hopefully the league over there will see sense. But they know they've cost themselves potentially a final, but they've done the right thing. And I love it when I see sports people do that. Yeah, that's a that's a really good one and really interesting. Football moment of the week. Ian, what have you been looking at in terms of football this week? Um, those two um, handball VAR decisions at the weekend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they seem to have changed the rule about handball for 
uh, overnight. And also, you know, that Man U game to to actually for the final whistle to go, and they go actually no, the game's not over. Um, you've got to we're going to have a, a penalty in the hundredth minute. It's just yeah. I'm just th- I'm just thankful we're in League One and you know yeah. we're playing behind closed doors in strange enough situations. I'm I'm glad we're not going to put up with that as well because it's just I mean I don't really care because I don't really particularly support any uh, Premier League team. So I find the whole thing quite amusing when it happens. But yeah, it's not really the football that we grew up with, is it? I know that's a bit of a cliche to say that, but it's a bit strange. It's going to take a while, I think, for them to iron this kind of stuff out. I think overall, it's not a bad thing. I think there's a lot of stuff that has gone missed down the years, hasn't it? I always think of the uh, Roy Carroll, he chucked that one off the line. Oh, and yeah, it was like yeah. about sure. five, five yards over the line. And obviously, everyone goes on about Lampard's uh, goal for England and you can go back you can go back forever and talk about VAR I mean it's a shame Jeff's not here actually because I was thinking it's surely time they brought VAR in in professional wrestling the amount of stuff that goes on behind the referees back in that <laughs> they should surely bring in video replays I mean you've got referees being knocked unconscious and people coming in the ring with chairs and all sorts but yeah this this it's not it's not, I might start a campaign actually for that, but it's not football, is it? It's They need to do something about it. And hopefully as time goes on, they will. I was speaking to a non-league chairman this week and he was saying to me that he was actually quite pleased that he just doesn't have to deal with that nonsense from the high divisions, VAR, all that sort of thing, because he just finds that you just get a much more authentic taste of football down in non-league. And yeah, although obviously they love, love the money, everything else that comes with it, he's just quite happy in our sport in terms to be, down there so that's you know that's that's quite a good one my moment of the week is you know it's actually not a moment of the week from the world of football per se but it's a moment of our football week that we've been talking about on our little group chat um actually ian knows the family of this guy Seb Harris, who used to play for cobblers and scored that header i think he scored one golf cobblers which is a quite a good header um back in the day at sixfield so an american guy came over you know played under ian sampson you know probably not the best football very wholehearted, plays out now uh, for Detroit City FC, playing the same colours as Cobblers. And we were talking about American players and Seb Paris came up and I just went down a bit of an internet wormhole in Seb Paris and I just came across this, I put it on the Twitter, this um, getting to know you section from Detroit, which is Detroit news of all, of all, um, <laughs> of all publications, Chronicle and Leco, eat your heart out. And it was just asked, it was just basically Seb Paris has given this newspaper his, a few things about his life and interesting facts about him. And, you know, number two was my favourite food is spaghetti, you know, fairly sort of bog standard. Number five was I played professional soccer in England in League Two for Northampton Town. This city is where my family is from and who they supported as kids. Um, obviously, he doesn't realise Northampton is a town, but we'll forgive him that. Um, Ian could probably fill us in after this, that how, how that works out in terms of his family. But um, number nine on the list just made me laugh. And I just can just imagine, I can't actually imagine him saying it, but it's just very funny. I'll just read it out to you. Uh, number nine. A fact about Seb Harris. Um, every time I poke the ball away from strikers, and he was a defender, he was a defender. Every time I poke the ball away from strikers and they say, man, you've got long legs. I didn't think you could get that. I always say back, go, go, gadget leg. Which <laughs> just cracked me up. I could just, can you imagine playing football against Seb Harris? He tackles you and then you go, oh, how did you get that? And he goes, go, go, gadget leg. It's Funny for various reasons, not not least that you know you have to be of certain age, Ian, do you reckon, to get to get that go, uh, expect a gadget reference? 
I think so, because, I mean, it's, it's it was 80s, wasn't it, Inspector Gadget? I'm not sure yeah. how old um, wasn't there is. Was there a, re- a film version of it? There was. Is it Robert Downey Jr.? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but I just, I just found that, uh, yeah, just a, a really funny, funny reference, and just, uh, yeah, just imagine him saying that. So, Ian, can you fill us in on how um, Sam Harris ended up in Northampton? Because you don't, you know, didn't you know his one of his family members? Yeah, the the Harris brothers uh, sounds like I think there was a tag team actually in WWE at one point. <laughs> the Harris brothers, but the, I don't know how many. I think from what I can work out, there's at least three of them. Um, they, it's not a secret. I think it's well known. They won the lottery, I think, in the nineties. And um, I don't, I don't know if one of them had already moved to America or not. Um, but the, there was a couple who, who lived in Northampton, set up their own or invested the money they won into their own uh, family business. ZI Signs. So if you're looking for some uh, sponsorship for the podcast, uh, Tom, maybe you could uh, go to them. They've got links to to the club. One of them, yeah, was in America. Had a son who was a promising um, footballer, and um, I think the ones over here in England wrote to uh, wrote. To, I'm trying to think who the Cobblers' manager at the time was. Actually, who, who was manager when Seb played? It was Atkins. Samo. It was Samo, wasn't it? So I think he contacted Samo and said, you know, my nephew over in America plays at a decent level. Um, you know, he could come and stay with us. Get him over here. Would you give him a trial? And uh, yeah, as they say, the rest is history. I believe. He wasn't a bad player. He wasn't. He wasn't on the level of Alistair Slow. Those sort of players that were brought in that were absolutely useless. He he actually had something about him. And the fact that he's gone on to do well in America, very well regarded at Detroit City, who are just an amazing club. If you've got time, just Google Detroit City. What's going on in Detroit with football is brilliant. Um, yeah, he was not a bad footballer and an Inspector Gadget fan. So what more can you ask? So that was my moment of the week. Uh, Seb Harris, good to see you doing well over in America. Um, Let's move on to a little news roundup. We've only got a couple of points this week because it's quite quiet at the moment. But the first point of the news roundup is this EFL bailout or lack of it because every day is pressing with football clubs not having enough turnover due to lack of fans. And it just seems that the government don't seem to want to pay for the EFL. They seem to want to put money into the non-league, which is fair enough, I guess. And they seem to be putting the impetus onto the Premier League. Now, the Premier League had a meeting this week and didn't really agree anything. And it's getting more and more pressing. And they seem to be sort of trying to work out ways, you know, ways they can produce this 250 million and not really producing it at the moment. Um, I saw an article where by, um, it said the um, Premier League were demanding the EFL clubs back their position against um, the FA on global free market for players, including 18 to 21 year olds. So that was in the Times if they want a bailout. And one chairman called it blackmail. So if you read that Times article, that was what said. And it just seems that the the Premier League are looking to get a bit of support for this um, thing because the FA have basically said that well, they want to increase the number of homegrown players in the Premier League squad from eight to 12 for every match. And it just seems quite sensible plan from the FA to try and help the England team. They say that the England team struggling for players in key positions. And it just seems the Premier League are pushing back on it now. I just don't think it's the time for the Premier League to be um, asking anything in return, particularly for, for this money. I think if they if they put their minds to it, they can afford it. And I just don't, if you've got a drowning man, you don't throw him a life boy and say, you know, we'll pull you in if you do X, Y and Z for us. I just, like, carrying on from last week, I just think for the Premier League to just do the right thing. The uh, government are looking after non-league and it's just time for um, the Premier League just to, you know, 
put the money up there and do the right thing by clubs like Northampton and all the other EFL clubs because a lot of clubs in real danger. So we'll see how that, see how that pans out, but it's a bit of a difficult one. Um, on to something a bit more positive. Uh, it's a two-year anniversary for Keith Curl. Been in the club for two years, got us promoted, obviously. You know, fair play to him for that. It's no mean feat to be in charge of any club for two years. Let's go to you, Martin. What do you make of Keith Curl's tenure for two years? Do you think it's been a positive time? Oh, big time. Yeah. Um, I think we've had, you know, we go we go back to since Chris Wilder left, we've had a succession of poor to below average managers yep. who haven't had success. We've lacked an identity. We've never looked like doing anything. And Curly came in and I think gave us a bit, a bit of spine bit of direction there seems to be an identity there it's you know the way they play isn't everyone's cup of tea I'm quite relaxed about that because there's plenty of teams playing good football a lot lower than where we are and I think you need you know you need somebody who's going to have a vision and a plan that's a very fair appraisal Martin your sort of summary is always really fair I think you give everyone the benefit of the doubt which is all to your credit um Andy you um You've been following Northampton for quite a long time. You've seen managers come and go. What do you think is different about Carl that might, might keep him in the job for a few years? And what do you think of his job over that two-year period? Again, I mean, Martin's just articulated it there. He's obviously got an eye for a player. I mean, yeah, it was all about steadying that ship, wasn't it? Perhaps not dissimilar to, you know, when Ian Atkins arrived at the club whinge about the style of football which is fair enough we're entitled to do that but if it reaps dividends as you know Atkins did within a couple of years we were at Wembley no airs and graces this is what we need at this level this is what we need at this football club and um you know if you get on board then you know we can go on the journey together but then again that's a that's A.D. Boothroyd but no I mean Keith (laughs) Keith Curley is a completely different type of guy I think he's done done fantastically well in, in the two years he's he's been at the club. I just wonder, is there enough focus on fundamentals? It <laughs> <laughs> always can be improved, can't it? It can always be improved. There could never be enough focus on fundamentals, really. <laughs> Certainly not every time every post good, bad or indifferent, I swear they come up in that Bristolian accent. Yeah. I assume with him being a city a city boy, as his schoolmate that works up the road from me tells me, he will. I'm assuming he'll be well up for it against Rovers, even though he used to play for yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, let's face it, it's, it's not just about the journey for Keith Cole, it's about his jigsaw, which he's constantly trying to put together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's dropped it on the floor a couple of times, and you know, a couple of the bits have gone up in the Hoover, but he's still trying to put that jigsaw. He's he's. <laughs> I don't want to ruin um, Keith Cowell for you, but if you, if you listen to his interviews, he I think the man sometimes needs to take a breath. I do worry for his oxygen levels. He can he can get out maybe 15 sentences on one breath, and you listen to it next time. It's literally yeah, he's, he's, he's quite a stream of consciousness. It's brilliant in in a way. I just don't know how he does it. He should be a deep sea diver. I think we probably um, underestimate or can never sensibility you need to have to be a football manager. I mean, oh. that is it's just such an intense job that I reckon it lends itself to um, slightly different mindset. 
and yeah, a slightly, yeah. if you're going to be successful at it, I think with, you know, um, everything that you need to be in charge of, the egos, you know, being in charge of, you know, tough blokes in a dressing room, keeping on top of everything the whole time, you know, people sniping at you, everything, you know, it's not, not everyone can do that job. There's no other job in the world whereby your livelihood is in the hands of like 11 other people. So it's like Martin going into Tesco's and the people in the warehouse keep dropping boxes on the floor. But if, if the next week they drop, you know, another five boxes on the floor, Martin's going to get the sack. Do you know what I mean? There's no other... Well, yeah, and, and <laughs> half of those people dropping boxes hate you. Yeah. Tom, I'm, I'm not sure how much experience you've got in retail distribution. And how... <laughs> <laughs> um, if, I don't think five boxes dropped on the floor is going to bring one of our warehouses to, to, to a standstill. But I kind of know, I get your point. Yes. You know what I mean, though. There's, there's, there's no we'll other have, job as well like have that. Have to pop in for a coffee, and I'll show you around one day. <laughs> <laughs> or you know, you've seen those videos where people drive the uh, the forklift truck into the thing and knock the whole thing down. Quite yeah, funny, yeah, that, yeah, that's that's more serious. <laughs> yeah, I, I've no got, a guy did that once at the uh, John Lewis warehouse I, I worked at during one of my um, summers. He he stacked a forklift. It was full extension. And he, I, I don't know, I just saw the aftermath, but the whole bloody thing, full extension, was down. It brought a massive, oh, my goodness. Tom, can I suggest a topic for next week? Which yeah, cosplayer, past or present, is most likely to crush a forklift truck? <laughs> Mate, I'm into that. That's a good one. I've got a few ideas already. Kevin Thornton? I won't say Oh, that. yes, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> So, so, Ian, back on to uh, Keith Cole. Do you reckon he's going to ever finish his jigsaw? I don't know. It's funny, isn't it? Because it was the manager's job was the missing piece in the jigsaw before he came, wasn't it? And we kind of tried everything. And, and when and when they appointed him, it was a lot of the fans just felt, here we go, another journeyman manager. You know, we've had them all. Who, who are we going to get next? And I think a lot of people were hoping for somebody up and coming, you know, like they think of Wilder, don't they? Everyone was always going to compare the manager's job to Wilder because he was somewhere on an upward trajectory who never been sacked, had done it at a lower level, wasn't just someone looking for a a, lot, a, a job. And when Kel came in, it, it sort of felt like that. But with football, it's always, especially with management, it's always right man, right club, right time, isn't it? And it looks like, you know, he had the experience, he had been there, he's had, he'd failed before. And he'd had success before. Um, he knew what he knows what works at this level and what doesn't, and his way of doing things. So thankfully, it, it, it all just did line up right when it came down to it, didn't it? Last last summer. So you know, good luck to him. I think he's done a great job. Mm. Yeah, I'll play. I'll play a little bit of devil's advocate here. I I, I, I want to congratulate him on you know that achievement of two years because. He's probably up there with some of the longest serving managers now with the way it is. So, you know, fair play to him. The only thing, you know, we talked about a little bit is the style of play ain't my cup of tea. Like against Hull, I was just thinking, it just seemed to me, you know, a Jackson Pollock style of football, splatting paint on the wall and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully something sticks. But there's been other games where it's been been a bit more cohesive. So I'll, you know, give him the benefit of that on that. I just, I just think that, my opinion on, or anyone's opinion on the style of play, does really, you know, pay in significance to the job he's done. That he studied the ship, he's got his promotion, and you know, we got we. But people that don't like the style of play, like me, and there's a few others, just got to suck it up to an extent because 
one, we're in a massive, you know, global pandemic. So, you know, we're lucky to be a professional football at all. And we're lucky to have, you know, a manager of good experience. So that's the other thing. And I always say that he wants to manage cobblers. And I'm not sure we've had many managers that actually do want to manage cobblers that much. We've always seemed to be a bit of a stepping stone for people or people doubt going on their way down in their career or whatever. And Keith Curl wants to manage cobblers. We're a bit of a football in backwater, let's face it, although we don't want to admit that we are. It's hard to attract real talent to Northamptonshire football. And he wants to be here. So that is why, you know, I, I give it, give him the benefit of that one. You know, I just suck it up about the, the style of play. You know, it's it's neither here nor there at the end of the day when we're in the position we are. So, you know, fair play to Keith Carl and, um, you know, hopefully can stay in the job for a few years more. Actually, I mean, I'm the not... man masterminded a 4-0 Wembley win at the end of the day. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to doff your cap. Uh, yeah, so, um, you know, fair play to Kiko. And it actually leads us on quite nicely, actually, to this little uh, tweet that was posted this week and a bit of a, an archive footage of Keith Cole and Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank squaring up. I think Keith Cole was playing for Wolves and Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank for Leeds, as far as I can remember. But um, it's quite a, it's a bit of a tasty one. I think Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank head, goes to headbutt him or headbutts him. And then little Keith Cole, you know, like a little Rottweiler, a little... Jack Russell nipping at your heels. He he grabs Keith, uh, Jimmy, both Cobblers managers, by the chin and just holds him. And he's his teeth stuck. Keith Cole's teeth. So I was thinking actually, like if they actually had a had a had a fight, who would win out of Keith Cole and Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank if you know if things continued? Um, Ian, what do you reckon? Who would you who would you put Keith. your money on? Keith, would you? Keith well, okay. Yeah. It's not the it's not the biggest player in the game, is it? It's the dirtiest that wins in a fight. It's who's who's prepared to go the furthest. It doesn't matter. Size doesn't come into it in that kind of environment. It's 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 not what you've got. It's what you do with what you got. And yeah, you can tell even looking at that fight, um, you can tell Jimmy's scared in that yeah. like ten second in that ten second um, little interchange. Jimmy's already regretting it, and he's cool. It is you know his his brain's realizing <laughs> what have I got myself into here. <laughs> he, he almost pulls a winter burn after, um, you know, after Decanio sort of lunges at him in the the Alcock incident. I reckon that. Yeah. I, I, that's exactly that's exactly what I thought when I watched it. Exactly what Ian said. He knows yeah. instantly he shouldn't have bothered. <laughs> Do you remember that we also did that tweet of Keith Carroll playing football with a um, cigarette and a lighter, Dennis, off a legend. <laughs> so. You don't want to be messing with someone like that, do you? Like, like he, he would just punch Jimmy Floyd and then have a, have a cheeky sack cigarette afterwards. Maybe it's sort of Jimmy Floyd's back while he's having a quick bifter. <laughs> what do you reckon? Do you reckon, Martin, who would you back, Keith Carr or Jimmy Floyd? Well, I've just watched just watched it again, and it's like, yeah, uh, for me, there's one man there who's lost his head. And there's one bloke in total control, and I'll take the bloke in total control. So it's Keith Curl all the way for me. What I also noticed because it must be obviously quite a long time ago, doesn't Don Goodman look young when he was a player compared, yes. to, compared, to, compared to looking a bit, a bit more um, gra- a bit more grey as a as yeah. a pundit? Yeah, he does. It's a blast from the past. I, yeah. What sort of year would you reckon it was? 2000, something like that, that sort of era? Maybe yeah, I reckon. Good yeah. shout, yeah. 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 But I think, though, I think Curl, the way Curl almost sees the attempted headbutt coming and just sort of floats back out of the way. You know, there's there's something of the boxer there. Yeah, I agree with that. Ah, uh, he's moving. Oh. Yeah. He's, he's, almost sort of, he's almost saying to Jimmy, you know, don't do this. 
don't don't do this to to the spectacle to me to you you know i'll only say it once <laughs> i would stick up for jimmy a little bit because remember in those days he could like pelt a ball a million miles if you got kicked by him in a fight you are you'll be in trouble so Okay, then it's that time of the week when we talk to a supporter from the opposing team. I'm pleased to be joined by Bristol Rovers fan, Kaz May. How are you doing, Kaz? I'm good. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Bit of a up and down start to the season, but, you know, we live in hope. Um, I was actually down in Bristol for a couple of days the other week. Like, oh, are you? I hadn't been there before, really, and it was just a city I wanted to tick off. And it was really, it's a really cool city with a lot going on. It was, you know, slightly quieter because of COVID, but especially sporting-wise, you've got hell of a lot going on in Bristol it's a cool city to live in isn't it yeah no, I love it I love living here I can't like vision myself living anywhere else like you said there's lots going on and you visited when it was a lot quieter like when it's busy yeah. in the summer it's just amazing yeah I went down to the harbour side and uh, it was quite quiet it was nice we got a drink and stuff and but you can imagine in summer when you know post-covid or whatever and it's all back to normal it's just a really sort of a, a cool city and loads of different areas and just sort of a, a, quite a laid-back vibe would you say to Bristol? Yeah I mean there's a place called Stokes Croft which is the most chilled out place ever like it's got a few clubs it's got a lot of pubs and like everyone is just so chilled and then we got the harbour side which is everyone's sort of go-to if they want to have a few drinks in the sunshine it's just, it's just like endless options if you want to visit Bristol um yeah right in the centre and then it's just like full of pubs. We've got a few clubs, obviously, COVID not open. But yeah, re- really interesting city with just so much going on, like you said. From from something, you know, nice talking about how sort of vibrant Bristol is to, you know, something less positive, I would say, like talking about your start to the season for Bristol Rovers. I, I haven't like followed you, you know, that closely, but I just looked at the, the table and you're down there at the bottom and it's not looking that healthy. But how would you describe your start to the season? Yeah, it's not been the best. I mean... We can look at it as we've had three difficult oppositions in the first three games. I mean, we've had Sunderland and then we had Ipswich and then we had Doncaster, which I expect, which I fully expect to be up there. I mean, Sunderland was away. Doncaster was away. We never get results there. So I I was expecting a big fat zero points out of these three games. So I'm glad we, we even got one. Um, But that being said, I know the opposition's difficult, but the performances have just been so bad I mean there's nothing promising in it whatsoever um so it is a bit of a worry I know we can say like no disrespect to to Northampton or any other teams coming up in October but we can say oh you know it's going to get a bit easier from now on but even if we do have an easy opposition there's there's no one that looks like they can score you know our strikers are very very quiet our defense is shaky I mean our defender Alfie Kilgore who had a brilliant season last year looks a completely different player this year I don't know what's wrong with him I don't know if it's the captaincy because we've got Aimer that's come in we've brought him from Gillingham um, and he's our new captain I don't know if he's going to be if he's struggling to settle in I don't know if he's going to be an actual leader for us I don't know what's going on but there's definitely a lot that needs to be sorted out if we expect to be anywhere near the top 10 this season yeah you can look at it two ways one you're in a false position because of the difficulty of the start of the season which you know makes a lot of sense or you know I suppose a scarier option is that maybe you're in for a season of struggle but it's only it's only a couple of games and it's sort of a difficult difficult one to judge at the moment. I couldn't really tell you where we're going to finish because, you know, we, we have some good results and then we play Hull and we just, well, we, we didn't really have any of the play at all and it, it's quite disturbing really, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how it sort of works out on Saturday. Um, can you talk us through your new signings this season because our fans won't really, really be following that. 
anyone you've brought in? Yeah, so we brought in quite a few, actually. Our transfer window has been really impressive, um, which got our hopes up massively, um, soon to be shot down as soon as we played our first game. But um, yeah, we, we got Amo from Gillingham, like I said earlier, who was their captain. So if you take someone else as captain, you, it, that's quite an, an optimistic signing. Uh, Zane Westbrook, who is a midfielder that we uh, signed from Coventry. Um, Coventry fans rate him. He's he's a tidy little player. Um, sort of gets on with it quietly, um, but it's got that little bit about him to sort of drive the midfield. We've got Sam Nicholson, who is injured at the moment, so he may or may not be in the squad for Saturday. Uh, but he sort of plays in the front three, um, sort of as a winger type, right forward role. Um, yeah. And he looks quite quite nippy, quite quick, and he can sort of ping it from anywhere. Uh, it's it's difficult for me to sort of like reel, reel these players off because none of them are particularly impressed. I mean, I'm going by my first impressions of them when we first signed them and it was really exciting. Um, we got Baldwin. So we, we signed a few centre-backs. So we got Amon Baldwin and then we got Josh Grant as well, who are centre-backs. So really, you would expect our defence to be solid, but it's not. And then we re-signed Jaden Mitchell Lawson, who has come from Derby, who we had on loan last season. Yeah. And he was br- he was brilliant last season. He he was one of those standout loan signings. So when we managed to get him back on a season-long loan, we were buzzing. But he sort of plays in like a sort of false nine role. So he he's not a striker, but he can be. He can sort of fill that role if he needs to. Uh, he's been a bit quiet. Um, I don't know if he's up against big defenders who have kept him quiet. But if he is against the right opposition, uh, then he he will certainly impress. Uh, and then we lost. I don't know if you know Johnson Clark Harris, who was our main striker last season um we lost him to peterborough um sold him so we needed to find a replacement for him and that replacement is brandon hanlon from gillingham who is less impressive but hopefully he uh he proves us all wrong and uh yeah we end up being more overwhelmed than we are uh but he doesn't certainly doesn't look like a replacement for jch as of yet no, but it, it might be just be that you've had a lot of a turnover of players and it might just be a little bit bedding in period with the tough uh, opposition to start the season. I mean, you might just need a few, you know, I don't want to call us, you know, lesser quality sides, but you had some really good uh, teams to the likes of Ipswich to play at the beginning of the season. So it might just be that you might be looking for your confidence in a game against Northampton, try and get a bit more of the ball, try and, get, you know, build it up a bit. Hopefully you don't, obviously, but just seeing <laughs> turnover of players, it's, there's going to be a bedding in period, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. It always takes a, new, a brand new team that don't really know each other that well. It's going to take time to gel. Yeah, I think that's most teams this season. You know, to start the season, get a bit, bit of self-relief and a bit of you know optimism behind them. Um, let's move on to your club owners because I've got a bit of an interest in that sort of side of it, the you know the ownership side of football. And uh, I was quite interested when the Jordanian family, the Al Qadi family, bought you. I think it was in 2016. Um, but you know, progress up the leagues hasn't been extensive it's fair to say since they've taken over what do you make of their ownership we were not doing so well before they took over and had we not gone up from the conference when we first went down and we won at Wembley on a, on a penalty shootout had we not done that then I don't know if they would have bought us and we would have been spiraling into further debt and then we probably would have completely folded so it's massive that they took us over and we are forever grateful for what they've done for the club so far it's taken a while I mean you know what fans get like if someone takes over a club they expect changes sort of straight away and they want answers and what's going on um so it's taken a good few years but now we're finally starting to get somewhere with a new training ground so then 
our owners invested money into new training ground which has probably attracted some of these impressive signings yeah. and then once they said about the training ground they then said a stadium could be on the way so it's all looking very pro promising and obviously we were left in loads and loads of debt when they took over and then there was a massive announcement the other month which said that our owner had cleared all those debts so now we're a debt-free club which is absolutely amazing i mean that's what everyone ever asked for really from from owners that take over is just to to help them out financially so yeah it's, it's looking promising i guess we're just waiting on on stadium news now because i mean we want to be a championship club eventually uh, but our stadium at the moment is not fit for championship standards, so we definitely do need that stadium if we we're to kick on and do that. No, that's it's good that they're investing behind the scenes stuff in terms of infrastructure, physical infrastructure, the training ground, and you know looking at a new stadium because these are the things that will help you kick on because they could spend as much money as they want on the team and it's not necessarily a route to success, isn't it? But if you build from the the bottom up, and maybe put some money into the uh, youth team and stuff like that. That's probably the way to do, I'd say, at a club at our level. Let's move on to your manager, who I don't know a lot about. I just Googled him briefly before we started speaking. But uh, it's a guy called Ben Garner, who, um, if you look at his sort of backstory, he was involved in the youth setup at Crystal Palace. He was assistant to Tony Poulos at West Brom for a period. And his uh, latest role before Bristol Rovers was assistant head coach of Indian Super League side ATK. Now, that's a bit of a mouthful. What did you make to him? Because... <laughs> Looking at him, he just sort of screams sort of slightly inexperienced. Yeah, that's exactly what he is. Um, it, it was a very underwhelming appointment from Gasset's point of view. Um, obviously, like you said, he's got no experience whatsoever. Uh, he's never actually been a first team manager, so that is a worry. Yeah. Having said that, you can see that his game plan and, and the way he wants them to play is good. It's just whether he can actually execute that on the pitch. I mean, like, it, it's a nice idea. But it's not working as it stands. I mean, he wants more pretty passing football, no hoof ball. Uh, he almost wants the players to, to walk it into the net. But when you're up against big, boisterous defenders like we have been, Sunderland, Ipswich, it's just, it's just not working. Um, so I can see that, yes, he's got good plans. And yes, he's got the contacts and he can make some great signings. But... This is a massive, massive month for him now because fans are looking at from when he took over in 2019, which was a bit of a panic because our old manager left us for Mansfield sort of out of the blue. So we had to get a quick turnaround in. So he, he came in 2019 with a team that wasn't his, tried to change it. It didn't work. So there's fans that are looking at it as he's got two wins in 24, which is shocking. Or there's some fans that are looking at it as a clean slate. He's had this summer transfer window and he's got his own team in. So now it's one point out of the last three. So it's, it's a bit of a divide in the, in the fan base with a lot of people looking at it from two different perspectives. Yeah. Uh, for me, I'm going to go down the clean slate route because I do think he did need his own team to do his, you know, to build his own plans. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a massive month for him now and I'm desperate for him to show that he can do this but at the moment it's not looking promising the, the problem with um that sort of scenario uh, you know investing in a coach who's you know a really good coach and it's got a lot of you know tactical analysis and stuff like that is you need to give to give them the time and your your chairman will be thinking this is probably a you know a short to medium term uh project with him but you've got to give him time and fans just unfortunately don't give managers time so if he's truly trying to change the culture of the football club in terms of its playing style it's not something that's going to be achieved in 
you know, six months. So that's my would be my worry for him is that does he get the time to actually uh, realize his project? You know what I mean? Yeah, like fans, like you said, they just they just don't allow any time. I mean, for me, I'm going to give him till the end of October, and then if if he hasn't managed to get at least two wins, I mean, we've got eight games in October, so that's me being kind. If he doesn't get at least two wins, then I'm afraid I'm going to have to jump on the bandwagon and uh, call for his head. Looking at what you're, you're talking about, I think it's almost a clash of cultures between Northampton and Bristol Rovers. We have been accused of all sorts playing uh, rugby. Why one manager says we play rugby instead of football. We've been accused of the hoofball and stuff like that. I would give Keith Curl a little bit more, who actually played for Rovers, actually, let's, let's add that one in. Um, I would give Keith Curl a bit more credit in terms of we are direct but he's worked out a very very effective way of, of playing and it sounds like it's slightly the opposite of, of your manager but I feel sorry to, for your manager to an extent because a lot of our fans say we want to play better football but you've got a guy there who's playing better football but just doesn't get any time to do it so he can't win as a manager I don't think. Yeah that's exactly it I mean Graham Coughlin who was the manager that left us in December uh, 2019 so he he's the one that went to Mansfield he was grinding out results but the football was just so ugly it was ugly wins it's just interesting on Saturday if if maybe Keith Curl's experience maybe comes into play a little bit because although your manager is good with his tactics and setting the team out it, I think Keith Curl is good at reacting during games and exposing issues in other teams line up in their tactics so I think maybe you know just looking at it uh, on a sort of general perspective I think maybe Keith Carroll is a very wily guy been in the game for years maybe we'll have that experience as on your your gaffer and um, what's your favoured formation for your manager because I'm not really sure about that yeah so yeah he, he has five at the back but then wing backs and then yeah he, he likes to play a three up front so he had for the Ipswich home game he had Zane Westbrook who was a, our new signing um, yeah. playing a sort of like a right forward, which is a bit unnatural for him. I would have put him more like a central midfielder. Okay. So I don't know if he's just trying to fill that, that that front three a little bit until he finds someone that is going to fill that role. He's quite stubborn with it, actually, with, with this formation. Cause, but the way it's sort of falling is, is that we're ending up with three at the back and then we're sort of getting tore apart on, on the counter-attack. Yeah, Keith Carroll plays wing-backs as well, so that'd be sort of a fairly even lineup in terms of the tactics. Um so what would you say your, this is a sort of an interesting question considering what we've talked about, but what would your expectations be for the season now? Maybe they were slightly higher before the season started, but what would you say would be a good season for you? Uh, I mean, I predicted 10th um, when, the, when we had all the exciting transfers, uh, but now I would say we'd be lucky to get 15th, 16th. I mean, I it's so difficult because it's so early on. It's it's three games in against three difficult teams. I, I guess I'll have a more realistic view after we've got this next month out of the way. Uh, but at the moment, it looks like we'd be lucky to stay up. But I am trying to keep optimistic and think, you know, we've got easier games coming up. It's going to be OK. We're going to get a win. Sure. I just think that League One is such a tough league anyway. But I think it's got slightly tougher this year because every player is playing for their career now, really. They don't know if they're going to be in a job next year, you know, with the way COVID's going. So I don't think there's many teams are going to just be just going through the motions. Where I think every team are going to be bang up for it. And I think that's where it's going to be tough. So I think there might be a few surprises this year in terms of the relegations. Though. Hopefully we can scrape ourselves out of it. But um, we, you know, if um, any Bristol Rovers fans listen to this podcast after we publish it, um, you know, we're a, 
we were hit and miss side and we got pretty much rolled over by Hull. So we are slightly higher in the league than you, but maybe slightly easier start to the season and uh, we're not pulling up any trees. So we'll see what happens on the day. What would your score prediction be then? Uh, I'm going to say a draw. I'm going to go 1-1. Whether we'll score from open play, I doubt it. Maybe we might get lucky with a penalty. I certainly don't think we're going to win. Um, so you can relax. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to go with 1-1. Yeah, I might go with 1-1 actually. We've we've had a you know a win. We lost against Hull. So I think we might be our time for a draw. And I think Keith Cole will be fairly happy with that going to his old stomping ground. Let's finish up now. It's been really good talking to you. But we can't finish up without talking about a couple of players that play for both sides. Uh, firstly, let's talk about Chris Lyons, who plays for Northampton. He's quite fondly regarded in Bristol, isn't he? It's the Rover side of things, anyway. Yeah, Chris Lyons, uh, a few promotions with us, which obviously makes him a legend. Um, he went to Sheffield Wednesday and then he came back when we were in the conference. He's way, way too good for the conference, but he came back, helped us get promoted. Yeah, we, we love him and yeah, we wish him all the best. We actually had him on our Gascast uh, pod not long ago uh, and it's just it's just amazing talking to him. He's he's such a great guy and a great player. I mean, I, I really hope he does well for you guys. I know he's, he's not really playing at the moment though, is he? I know he's a bit older, maybe maybe he's not fitting into Keith Cross plans but uh yeah there's absolutely no beef from Bristol Rovers fans we absolutely love him yeah if you speak to Cobblers fans they they probably say that our midfield isn't actually used that much so he's pretty useless <laughs> because it just goes over <laughs> the midfielders um, I wouldn't say he is a Keith Carl signing I can't remember if Keith Carl signed him but he he likes to get the ball moving he's you know he's quite a good technical player and stuff like that and he, they're really not the sort of players that do pretty do well for us. So um, I think he's just wasted slightly, but he is he's pushing on a little bit. I think he's about 35 or whatever, but a good player. And uh, you never know, they might just put him in just to uh, mess your heads up a little bit, put the old yeah, in. Maybe, yeah. I mean, we were hoping for, you know, for fans to be there on this day, obviously. COVID's yeah. got in the way, but he would have got such an amazing reception had it been a full stadium. Yeah, I'm sure. And he seems like a nice guy as well, which is, is always good. Um, the other one, I don't know how well he's fondly regarded in, in Bristol Rovers because he was part of that relegation side. I actually spoke to him at length about this. Uh, John Joe O'Toole, like, is he a player that has got a good, you know, good reputation in Bristol or do you consider him just part of a, a bad team that got relegated? Oh, God, there's so much more to it than that. I mean, he is hated. He is hated in Bristol. <laughs> like, oh, he's, I uh... said that one, didn't I? Sorry, I, I didn't know it was that bad. Oh, no, don't worry. I mean, he was our top scorer in the conference, which just goes to show how bad we were to have a midfielder as our top scorer. Um, but, like, the whole drama around it, when the day we got relegated... Yeah. Um, we were playing. We were playing Mansfield, and all we needed was a draw. And then this article came out in a, it was like some Irish paper, and yeah. it was an interview with John Joe O'Toole. And he'd basically said to this paper, like, I can't wait to get out of here. Um, I'm way too good for this side. My teammates are useless. Like just all the stuff you just don't say. Yeah. when you're supposed to be playing as a team on the last day of the season to avoid relegation. And sadly, all the players had seen it. So it, there was just suddenly this bad vibe. Obviously, as if the players had seen it, they don't want to play with him. They think he's arrogant. And yeah, yeah it was just every, everything about him throughout the whole season. I, I know he scored some goals. And for me personally, at the time, I absolutely loved him. I was obsessed with him. I thought he's great, brilliant, best thing since sliced bread. And it just took him to do that 
at the time where we needed this team to be at the best they can be. And yeah. he's gone to the paper and said that. So obviously all Rovers fans are aware of this. Um, and then he, he started saying, oh, I want to leave. I want to go to a bigger club. And, you know, no offence to you guys, but we were obviously laughing when he signed for you because we were like, I thought you were going championship. I thought you were going high. I thought you were better than this sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, Rovers fans think he's a, an ass, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just don't think, yeah, maybe he didn't. Uh, I think before he spoke, and you know, obviously he doesn't want to, shouldn't have done that interview at that time. I think when I spoke to him, he said he was really, I don't know if he was being honest or not, but he said it was quite, um, you know, he spoke quite fondly in the club afterwards. And maybe he's matured a bit. And he he, he, was, he said on the day he was pretty good, good that it happened. Like you said, maybe he's matured now. And the way you handled it at the time was really, really poor. And there was just far too much arrogance. And considering he hasn't gone much further than, than League One or, or League Two, like, oh, uh, yeah. Just, just goes to show that actually maybe he was wrong about himself, so maybe he is a bit more grounded now. Yeah, sorry about that, John Joe. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been really good talking to you and getting an insight into Bristol Rovers because we all live in our own little bubbles, don't we? We only sort of think about our own teams and little bits here and there. So thanks a lot for um, joining me and um, talking Bristol Rovers. And I'll speak to you again soon. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Let's move on to our final feature for tonight, which is the A to Z of the Cobblers, which was Ian's idea and Ian won't let us forget it. <laughs> He's patented it. He owns the rights to it, so don't anyone try and copy it. You have to pay him vast royalties. Uh, we're on to C this week. It's just a bit of a slow burn. We're all dreading the letter Z or U, but we'll, we'll get there eventually. Um, as, let's go to... Well, it's just good, good news we're tied into a 26-week run. Yes, exactly. Look. Let's go to you, Ian. It's your idea, mate. What is your uh, cobbler's related bump uh, to do with the letter C? But funnily enough as well, actually, Matt, it's funny Martin mentioning um, Mark Radcliffe. I, I, I've got to come clean. I actually pretty much stole this idea from from Lard, from Mark Riley, because he, he does an A to Z on his um, music show, like A to Z of, you know, different music genres. So that's where I got it from. So they are. Uh, well, I'll send Lard a, a point in the post or something. Right, my one. I'm gonna. I've seen a few people mention this on Twitter. Um, it is C O double B L E O S Cobblers. The reason why I'm going with that one is of all the teams in in football, you know, most of their fans um, have that rhythm, that that chant. But how lucky are we that the 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 name, our nickname, is also matches the rhythm of that chant. It's a gateway chant for young fans. You very, you usually hear the younger lads chant it, don't you? you you'd yeah. hear it in the family enclosure at the county ground. You'd hear it in the East Stand, the young lads in their little football, you know, got a day out, a free ticket, and they're wearing their, uh, their junior clubs. You hear little groups of young lads chant it in the West Stand, but it's a gateway. When they get a little bit older, then they can move up. Maybe they can, they can sort of join in with the adult version which is the old, you know, Muzzy, that super fan, will start with, give me a C. And from there, who knows? Negative songs about Peterborough, Secretarian chants. The world is their oyster, but it all starts with that C-O-W-B-L-E-R-S cobblers. <laughs> I, like you just, I like how you describe it as a gateway chant, like it's a gateway drug, which is pretty much what it is. Uh, it's just some sort of drug we're addicted to, some terrible... We're basically the um, smack of football. <laughs> Well, before you know it from that, you, you're graduating to hit, hitting people with bricks. Spelling wrong. So it's like C-E-B-L-E-R-I-S. That's happened a few times. Um, not, I remember also a, t a time when we played Cheltenham and someone sh shouted, you dirty northern bastards. And I was thinking, 
sure <laughs> they're yeah. not but that's a really good one um martin what about you for the eight of the cobblers let us see well i'm gonna go with claris and white bar scarves okay now you know i i quite like i'm not a fan of scarves in general but the old bar scarf is a classic okay but you can see them in all sorts of color combinations and not yeah. know who someone supports. Yeah, yeah. You see a claret and white one. Yeah. Unless Chelmsford have come to town or Torino or Hearts, yeah. there's only one club that is. And I kind of like that uniqueness. Yeah, that, that's true. Although um, my friend, um, he always buys the Hearts of Melovian scarves because he says they're better quality than ours, our club shop ones. So he buys Hearts of Melovian scarves and wears them. But I, I, I know what you're saying about the, the bar scarves. They're really like, quite classic, aren't they? They're really, um... they are, but they're, you know, if you support Liverpool or United, oh, I've got a red and white one and we could hate each other, but we look the same. Yeah. Whereas the claret and white is pretty unique. Yeah, that is, that's a good one. They will, we'll add that to the uh, to the list of the seeds for the other cobblers. What about you, Andy? What's your one? Uh, mine is a double C, and it's for Mr. Carlo Corazin. Um, oh, again, one of my favourites. I know he's a man who's close to your heart as well, Tom. Uh, yeah. You've to him, and you know, mentioned it earlier the Gold Cup winning heroics of yeah. 2000. Then you come back and fight your, fight for your place in the Cobblers team. But yeah, I mean, um, I just remember him scoring an absolute beamer on the opening day of the season against Stoke. So it would have been um, shortly after that. Playoff final defeat. I'm pretty sure it was 98. So, you know, glorious uh, summer's day. You know, the uh, the sun, the sun kissing six fields. And um, yeah, Carlo Corazin just smacked in an absolute beamer. Short free kick was tapped to him. And then he just uh, he just crashed it home. Two early goals in that game, I think. Graham Cavana scored a penalty for Stoke. We lost the game and obviously Carlo departed. But yeah, he was, he was a... He was a good, good player. Liked him, um, and his name begins with C, <laughs> which is good for this picture. But yeah, um, Carlo Corazon, really good choice, um, and a glamour player that we don't really have anymore. I'll just go through some of the um, listeners' um, tweeters choices. There's some good ones in here. All beginning with C, obviously. We've got Craig Adams on Twitter. He's gone for Chardy, Phil Chard. A we talked about him quite a bit. Bit of a legend at the football club in terms of his um, versatility. So that's a good one. Uh, John Taylor, Baby Bear at Twitter, has gone for Lee Culkin, who's another bit of an unsung hero and not really, um, never really sort of impacted on the team that much. But the fans really liked him. Do you remember the chant? Like all the chants are, it was like Lee, Lee, Lee Culkin. So he got himself a chant, which shows he must be a good player. So he's a good one. Very um, hard working player. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember? He's a left back, wasn't he? Uh, Ian or left sided? Oh, yeah. Never stopped working. Yeah, um, so he's a good one. Um, Alex Butcher, he has gone for Crossley, who the, who's a ref, I think. Uh, Carlo Corridan, like Ian, and Carpet Supercenter. Probably, if we think about it, one of the best ever sponsors of Cobblers would we go with Carpet Supercenter. Now, the only place oh. that any self-respecting oh. Northamptonian will buy carpet from. No? No, it's one of the worst things ever to happen to the club. <laughs> I... I, th- I think our, our Club 81 away kit, uh, our yellow and red, I think it is Carpet Supercenter still. So they have um, clearly gone up in the world. You're joking. Uh, they sponsor Club 81? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that we've got a, we've got a Carpet Supercenter yellow kit. 
every cobbler's fan has to buy their carpets from Carpet Super Centre. It's a law. So if you're buying it from uh, wherever else, your carpet right, you're just doing us a disservice on the football club. Um, Ollie NTFC has gone for Colin Calderwood. You know, uh, who yeah, just yeah. It's a very funny story about, and that's another alliteration or a bit of a, you know, double C one. Uh, county ground. We're all going to have a bit of a tear in our eye when we mention the county ground. So there's some good ones. Uh, Gavin Foster has gone for Craig King, who is another forgotten cobbler, who actually um, is my famous Gima story when Gima was at one of the away game show and at Billy Mackay. Billy Mackay, you're crap. Billy Mackay this, Billy Mackay that. And he was actually shouting at Craig King. <laughs> Vintage. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if his eyesight is the best, but he got a little complete... Poor old Billy Mackay got it in the deck. I said, poor old Craig King did to an extent. Both of them were wrong. Um, <laughs> long-standing Cobras fan, moving away. Uh, Charles Breakspear, less said about him, the better. The referee. Um, Bill Craven's Dove Cobbler has gone for um, Vic Cockcroft, which it must be an old-time player before our time. I don't know if it rings a bell of anyone, but um, maybe of a certain generation. Keith Buckby, Keith B has gone for Cardoza. You know, massive groan, but you know, like it or not, he's just had a big impact on this football club, mostly negative. Um, uh, Steve Cobbler Toad's gone for Ashley Corker, the left back from Middlesbrough, and he's put best left back to ever wear the shirt. Now, Martin, this is a personal link to you, isn't it, Ashley Corker? Uh, yes, yeah, I, I, I used to work with um, Ashley Corker's dad. Um, uh, when I, I stopped in Middlesbrough for a couple of years um, doing some stuff. And, yeah, I, I got the heads up the day before the signing was announced. And I had I was a little troubled with, you know, I've no no skin in the game until I didn't know Ashley himself. But, you know, he was playing tier five probably up there. He had been released from Middlesbrough and, you know, it was, you know, he wasn't looking at other things. And then, Paul texted me and said, "Hey, never guess Rashley signing." I'm like, "Not in, not cobblers." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, don't say anything because it won't be announced till tomorrow." And I'm like, "Okay, or maybe this guy's got some, you know, a bit of potential. You know, the, lots of players will get released by Premier League clubs, and sometimes they'll drop down a little bit, but a manager sees something in them that, yeah, you know, they come up. You know, Jamie Vardy, um, probably a, a great example. Um, that wasn't actually Corker though." <laughs> Unfortunately, he, he weren't very, you know, he, he weren't very good. And, you know, hell, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not a very good bingo. footballer. I've got I'm, not, the, I'm, I'm not a very good I'm not very, saying he's not very good bingo. We've got it this week. Yes. <laughs> he's not, wasn't very good. Um, <laughs> but um, the trouble was, Paul would come down and watch. And he'd be oh. working nights. He'd get his missus to drive. Oh. So he'd have a doze on the way down. Now, if you can imagine a poor team and the worst player on that poor team and it's your lad and you're sat in amongst the Cobblers fans. Oh. It used to get quite leery and I kind of felt for everybody in that situation. But Martin, you shouldn't have got drunk and slagged the guy's son off. That's just disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> like, I made sure I was well away from where Paul was sat. <laughs> but yeah, let's just be diplomatic. He wasn't the best Cobblers player. Yeah, so... Uh, Mark Josiah has gone for uh, quite a good one, actually. Callum Morton for C and COVID-19. Without either, we wouldn't have been promoted, exclamation mark, if Carlsberg did shithousery promotion. So I thought that was really funny. Well, I thought that was the best response out yeah. of anything I saw on Twitter. 
Yeah. But we, you know, we, we, we can laugh back on it now. And when we got to that final at Wembley, we deserved it and we smashed them. So um, it is what it is, I guess. We've got AD Richards, who's gone for Chris O'Donnell again. <laughs> I think he's oh. a Chris O'Donnell time. And his favourite uh, blast from the past, Chris O'Donnell. And was he in Batman as well, obviously, wasn't he? He was, mate. He made it in the end. <laughs> Do you reckon they used to ask him in the Hollywood studios about his time at Cobblers? Like, <laughs> his 45 minutes at the Cobblers. <laughs> yeah. I know, I, know you're in, I know you're in Hollywood now, man, but did you play 45 minutes at the county ground for one season? He's like, yeah, that's me. Um, yeah, the boss of MGM Studios was terrifying, but not a patch on, uh, on Graham Carr. You know. <laughs> I've seen you miss a tackle after seven minutes. That's true. Although Graham Carr doesn't like going on Christmas dues. We'll come back to that in uh, Merry Christmas. Um, Daniel Drage, uh, he's done some really good ones each week for us. He's got quite a few. I'll reel him off. Cost Dane Holmes, which um, is a good one. Uh, Dennis Casey. Yeah, everyone remember Dennis Casey? The stalwart. He was just there for years, one year, and just years and years and years just um, doing his job. Well, all those interviews you did from every player from sort of the 80s 90s early noughties they all mention dennis don't they they all yeah. mention great people at the club and dennis is a real you know and he was more than a physio <laughs> i think he was he just he just did everything didn't he i'm glad yeah, someone did him i'm glad i'm glad i was going to have him for d next week if no one had mentioned him yeah and um i can't remember who i was speaking to but they said he, he used to say money in the bank money in the bank when you're doing your rehab get on the bike or whatever and that's money in the bank do you do get your fitness back up and but yeah maybe we'll have a little look at him one week do a bit of a retrospective <laughs> he's probably still he's probably still turning out for someone you know doing the physio and he's getting on a bit now but that's a good one uh paul culpin and he's described him as slightly before my time as a wildly inconsistent hero martin would you say that was right about paul culpin yeah i i, I think was one that I think Carr had been after for a, for a while, but he was back uh, playing for Posh and he scored a goal at the hotel end. Where again, I think he's he's dropped his shoulders one way, turned and rolled in the corner. He just lifted his finger to the hotel end as he's getting dogs abuse. And I think even then, even being quite partisan, I'm like, ah, nah, fair play to you, mate. <laughs> there was a time we played at Crew, and when they were reading the team out, they they called him Paul Coupling. How did it be in? Like uh, you know, the railway, but it, it did think, yeah, maybe they think about this too much. <laughs> uh, Deborah Marshall, goes without saying, originator of Wallach fanzine, legend, has gone for uh, Graham Carr, obviously. Goes without yeah. saying, Bob Coy, another player. I think Bob Coy played under Graham Carr. I'm sure he did. Uh, yeah, Paul, he did Curtis, yeah. Paul Curtis, who played under Graham Carr a little bit, but he was more of a guy, a cobbler's in the community guy, and he came to my school and various other schools to do football in the community. So I remember him. Um, he came back time. playing, didn't he? he did. When we were he short did. and he scored a goal. Yeah. He might he might have played in the carpet super centre years. Yeah. I, well, yeah, that, that was when we would definitely have been struggling for players. We were in all sorts of bother. And yeah. he came back and looked quite good for a guy who had pretty much retired and was doing, you know, football jobs that footballers used to do in those days. <laughs> And yeah. Bob Coy, wasn't he the player who made way when Russ Wilcox was signed? Yes. Wilcox came in to replace Coy. Yeah, he's one of those, one of those, I think he had like a, quite a, was he a sort of a baby face sort of guy? I might have mixed him up with Dave Gilbert, but um, just one of those sort of players that contributed to that team in those days. Um, let's go to, let's move on to uh, Ian Townsend. He's gone for 
County Ground, obviously. Charlie Bishop, Herbert Chapman, who's just a massive, leg- massive, massive legend yeah. at Arsenal and probably doesn't get enough, you know, uh, talk about his time at Northampton and his formative years. He, he learned everything he knew at Northampton and to go into Arsenal, but just a massive name in management and a bust uh, in uh, Highbury. So just a massive name. And finally, to wrap this up, um, I tweeted out a, um, a picture of that famous, not famous actually, but it's a really nice kit from, I think it's around 1984. Now, I think Martin started going around this time. It was a Umbro cobbler's kit, pinstripe, with a little C for Carlsberg on the chest. Yes, I think that might... Yeah, I think that's got to be up there, sort of, sort of uh, the unsung kits of all time. Brilliant. Yeah, I, I think my, my first games um, would have been 83, 84, perhaps. Frankie yeah. Bell on amongst others. Yeah. In the team, probably couldn't aim too many others, but yeah, that was that was a really nice. I, I do think the mid eighties kits, yeah, uh, were there Definitely. were some classics. I loved the um the prior to the championship season, the chronicle the, the all white with just claret sleeves and chronicle and echo, you know, first scenes for Morley and Hill. Just yeah, I think there was um yeah there there were some good kits then, and it's nice with the kind of thought that um. Hummel are giving to kits that our second kit at least seems to be a nod to the uh, the pinstripes, albeit the other way round. They haven't the committed to the pinstripes. Yeah, half-hearted pinstripes. This is a bit of a contentious one with Andy, but I think the the nice thing about this story, and just just to wrap it up, Bobby the Cobbler treated us actually, and he treated us that uh, in those days the club gave you the letter C. And you had to fix it on the shirt yourself. Now that's that's really quite sweet, actually. Getting your mum to uh, iron it on or embroider it or whatever, or sew it on. Let's call it a night, guys. I've been chatting for quite a while. I'm off to start a shift at Tesco's. Six till two with Martin carrying boxes. <laughs> Hopefully, I don't drop any. Otherwise, I'm going to get the sack. <laughs> Take um, it easy, guys. Brilliant. We'll Thanks, everybody. Cheers, mate. Cheers, all. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.